Our text from the Scripture this morning is from Luke chapter 8, verses 40 to 56. Luke 8, 40 to 56. If you have a Bible, you can follow along there. If you're using the Pew Bibles, you'll find it on page 867. Or you can listen along as I read aloud. Let's hear from God and from His Word what He would say to us. Luke 8, 40-56. This is God's Word. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed Him, for they were all waiting for Him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed, against, uh, pressed around him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear. Only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed. But he charged them to tell no one what had happened. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, as we come now before your word, we pray that you would would deal with us, that you would speak directly to us, and directly to us no matter how we find ourselves this morning. Uh, Certainly, some of us came through these doors anxious this morning, others angry and bitter even, some happy, some perhaps so comfortable in this life that we have forgotten our desperate dependence upon you. Others of us come fearful, some of us come bringing many doubts and skepticism with us. Father, we pray that as we come before Your Word, You would remind us this morning that the ground at the foot of the cross is level. And despite what we see as all of our 
varying differences between one another. We really are all the same. We need to be reminded this morning or even to hear for the very first time that no matter the circumstances in our lives, we are all far more broken than we could ever imagine. And so we all need to hear good news this morning. We need to hear of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to know that in Him we can both be far more broken than we could ever imagine, but also at the very same time far more loved, far more accepted, far more secure than we could have ever dared dream possible. We pray that you would take us this morning to Jesus that we might know this, for it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, Children ages three to six, you're dismissed to children's church, and so if you can make your way to the back of the sanctuary, you'll be taken to children's church. This morning we're continuing our series, uh, The Hands of the King, which is a series through the miracles of Jesus in Luke's gospel. Uh, A few years ago, the women's Northwestern lacrosse team won the national championship. And as a result, they were invited to the White House to meet the president. And it's doubtful that anyone would have noticed this, uh, but the story ended up making the front page of the news for one very simple reason. Um, They wore flip-flops to meet the president, and I'm not making that up. Uh, You may have forgotten this story, um, but because I'm strange, I cut this story out of the newspaper. I don't know. Um, But it was a front-page news story at the time. Um, Lots of people were angry about it, um, and many Northwestern moms who were interviewed uh, were very embarrassed by it, mortified even, uh, was the words one of them used. And it had nothing to do with personal opinions about the president. Um, It had everything to do with the office and the respect that they felt that office deserved. Um, And the article was, the articles that I, I read were about right and wrong ways to approach the president. And most everyone was saying, flip-flops aren't appropriate attire for meeting the president. Today, in looking at this passage, I want us to see that there is one appropriate way to come before Jesus, the King. And that is to fall at His feet. Martin Lloyd-Jones, famous 19th century preacher, he wrote this. Those who fell at his feet, who acknowledge him and his greatness, never failed to obtain a blessing. Let there be no mistake about this. If you approach him in the mere spirit of curiosity, he will not reveal himself to you. If you come with your own ideas and conceptions in order to judge and to estimate and to try him, he will confound you by holding forth before you a standard of life to which you can never attain and an example and a pattern which makes your highest and noblest efforts trivial and childish. Approach him as if he were merely a man among men, albeit the greatest and best and noblest to whom you are prepared to follow. Approach him in any one of those ways on your feet." and relying to the slightest extent on yourself and your own powers, and you will not know his blessing. 
You may persuade yourself of many things, but you will never know what He really does to and for His own. He only blesses those who come on their knees, those who looking at Him and conscious of their own sinfulness and helplessness realize that this is the very Son of God who came on earth to deliver us. There are two main people in this story in Luke chapter 8 that we read a moment ago. Two main characters, and they both came to Jesus and fell on their knees. Right, Jairus fell at Jesus' feet in verse 41, and this unnamed woman fell down before Jesus in verse 47. And listen, these are two people who could hardly be more different. Right, one is a man in a patriarchal society, the other a woman. One is a ruler in the synagogue. The other, because of her bleeding, is unclean and unable to worship, therefore, in the synagogue. One had a 12-year-old daughter who was facing an acute crisis in her life. The other had a chronic illness for the same 12 years. One is wealthy, we hear from Mark's account of the same story. The other is poor, having spent everything she had on doctors. And Luke is saying, though they're different, they really are the same. They both have to fall at Jesus' feet. They are different, but the same. And if there's one thing I want you to see this morning, I think it's this. Your circumstances in your life may be different from the people in this passage, and they probably are, mine are, but we are really the same. We all need to fall at the feet of Jesus. That is the only appropriate way to approach the King of Kings. His grace will not come to you if you demand it on your terms and according to your timetable. His grace comes when you see your need and you fall at His feet. So I want us to think through this passage with three simple points. The engagement of Jesus, the deadly delay of Jesus, and the power of Jesus. First, the engagement of Jesus. This will be a brief, simple point, but I want you to see that Jesus, he is engaged with the brokenness around him. This man, Jairus, came to Jesus with his crisis. His 12-year-old daughter was dying, and Luke doesn't tell us that Jesus said anything. Just kind of -of matter-of-factly, he writes, and or as Jesus went. Like, of course, There was brokenness. There was sickness. There was someone facing the ultimate enemy of death and the consequence of sin. And so, of course, Jesus went. He went towards the brokenness. He went to engage the brokenness. And then this woman who had a discharge of blood came up to Jesus and touched the fringe of his clothes, and she was healed. Jesus felt the power go out of him at that moment, which is very interesting. We'll come back to that later. But listen, when you read the story, you realize she was hoping for a touch-and-run kind of situation. She wanted to touch Jesus and then just slip away unnoticed. But instead, Jesus stopped, and he stopped the whole crowd, the masses who were with him, and he looked for her. He wanted to engage her, Right? He wanted a conversation with her. He didn't want her to leave confused 
or maybe superstitious that she had touched his clothes and was made well. He wanted to engage her to make sure that she knew that it was her faith in him that had healed her. I've always thought that being a professional counselor must be a tremendously difficult, and from my vantage, a terrible job. Um, but maybe in the same way that being a doctor is a difficult job because you're always dealing with people at their worst, right? And, you know, I, I do some counseling as a pastor, but not, not like professionals do. Um, mine is spotty in comparison. Uh, all day, every day, listening to people's problems without end, the terrible wounds they have, the pain they carry, processing through it over and over again. And I've been to counseling myself before, and, you know, counselors are always saying things like, tell me more about that. And if it were me, I'd be like, please stop talking. Um, (laughs) After hours and hours of that, you know, uh, be painful. Um, You have to have a gift for it. I I went to see a counselor one time, and I'm sitting in the little waiting room there, and I could hear on the other side of the door, not any words, but I heard this lady sobbing on the other side, and you know I could hear her sniffling and weeping, and I thought, I'm probably not going to get his best in about five minutes. Um, that's an awful lot to take through. I, I doubt he's going to be fully engaged with what's going on with me. Throughout the Gospels, we get a lot of Jesus' teaching. We get some of his teaching anyway, but even his teaching was so very often occasioned by people bringing to him their problems and their brokenness. And I mean constantly. Constantly people are bringing the sick, the demon-possessed, scary brokenness. They're bringing their dead before Jesus. And he's always fully engaged with the brokenness around him. He moves towards it even. Right? He stops the crowd to deal with it. So let me tell you why this is beautiful, that Jesus went and that Jesus searched for this woman. One of the deadliest, most deceptive and destructive lies that you could ever listen to is this, that you have to get cleaned up and fixed in order to meet Jesus. Because I can assure you of this, if you think you are fit for Jesus you most definitely are not fit for Jesus. He came to engage the brokenness in you. He came to deal with you at your point of need. He came to shoulder your baggage, your bent and twisted heart, your brokenness. He came to take it upon Himself. The only way to get His grace is to fall at His feet with your need. On your knees and at his feet is where you learn that the way down is the way up. He came to engage the brokenness in us, to move towards it, to stop and search for it in your life. And that's beautiful that the gospel bids you come as you are, not with your righteousness, come empty handed. Second, I want us to consider the deadly delay of Jesus. 
I know this is difficult for us to do, um, but I really do want you to stretch your imagination a bit here. For all the benefits of technology, and there are many, and I use many of them, um, but it is killing the work and the practice of the imagination. And I want you to work it out here. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how Jairus felt? His 12-year-old girl was dying. She wasn't just sick. She was dying. Look, all the hopes that he had for his little daughter, all the things he wanted her to grow up and experience, to find love, to get married, to have a family of her own, all of that was threatened in this moment. The threads on that rope, they were frayed and they were breaking. Hope was slipping away and it was slipping away fast. Not just the sorrow that he must have felt. Can you imagine the fear that he must have felt? The utter helplessness. His worst nightmare was coming true. It was just moments away. His daughter was dying. But he made it to Jesus. And Jesus was on his way. Thank you, Jesus. Let's hurry. When I left her, it it wasn't looking good at all. But in the very next moment, Jesus had stopped. He stopped the whole crowd. He was searching for a woman, right? And everyone was looking at him like he was crazy. He was saying, seriously, somebody touched me. Who was it? Even his disciples were scratching their heads. How can you ask that? Of course someone touched you, they were saying. The whole crowd is pressing in on you, they were saying in verse 45. But no, no, Jesus said, I'm looking for someone very specific. I'm paraphrasing the discussion, of course. But can you imagine how Jairus felt? Why are we stopping? Time is of the essence We have to get to my daughter. Whoever it is that touched you, she she isn't in worse shape than my daughter. And the problem is, of course, that Jairus would have been right. Right? There's just no better way to put this. You would have thought it. I would have thought it if we were there. This is malpractice. Jesus' 12-year-old daughter, or Jairus' 12-year-old daughter, is facing this acute crisis. But this woman's problem, it was chronic. She had had it, she had been living with it for the same amount of time that this little daughter had been alive. 12 years. What's another hour or two? Triage this stuff. You know, you have to deal with the crisis first. And then you deal with the chronic problems later. But stay with me in the scene here and imagine just a little bit further into the story. Verse 49, while he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came. What must have been going through Jairus' mind when he saw that person coming towards him? Maybe he was hoping for the best, but certainly dreading the worst. And it was the worst news possible. Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. It's too late, they were saying. 
Maybe if Jesus hadn't stopped, it would be different. But he did stop. And your daughter is now dead. Stop bothering him anymore. This certainly looked like gross malpractice on Jesus' part. We have made it to October, and that means that Halloween is coming. And with it, for my kids, that means securing the biggest bag or bucket possible to contain trick-or-treating candy. And um, candy, it is all about the candy, Um, and lots of it. We held out with our children as long as we could from giving them sugar because we knew once they got a taste for it, there would be no turning back. Um, So the aftermath of Halloween at my house feels a little bit like rationing bread to survivors of the apocalypse. Um, We keep the bowl on top of the fridge in our house, so it's out of reach of everyone. You cannot leave them alone with candy, right? And and when it comes to after dinner time, we take that bowl out, and we say, just one piece. No, I told you one piece, and Caroline's first, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Let go of the bowl. Um, (laughs) See, and that's a parent's job, right? You you can't leave them alone with those shiny wrappers that are promising instant gratification and sugar highs. Parents have to think, I know you want this candy now. And you think it will make you happy. (laughs) But we want you to eat your broccoli and your chicken and drink your milk first. We We want you to wait. We tell them all the time. And of course, it's not that we want bad for our children. It's actually the exact opposite of that. We want the best for them. We want to give you good gifts, but they don't seem to understand it as they're throwing a fit. That we want you to grow up to be 10 years old and not to be a diabetic and have a full set of teeth when you're a teenager. It will be important one day. Um, The deadly delay of Jesus. The unhurried, unhurried manner of Jesus stopping to talk, right, while Jairus' daughter died. It must have been torturous for him. You know how the story turns out, because we read it. Right? Jesus made Jairus wait to give him something better, but Jairus didn't know that. He didn't know what was waiting for him. Hurry, Jesus. But he didn't. He stopped. He wasn't hurried. Jesus told him not to be afraid in the deadly delay. Could it be that our fear and our panic in life that our anxiety in life and even our bitterness in Jesus' delays looks like a child grasping for candy. Now, I know what's best. Candy now. New job now. Better job now. Better spouse now. Cancer gone now. It's in the deadly delays that Jesus pounds the self-righteousness and self-centeredness out of our lives in order to give us what is best. I know it's true in my life, and probably yours too, that the fear and the panic and the anxiety and the bitterness, they really do stem from deep-seated arrogance in our lives. Jesus, I know what's best right now. Now, and not later, Jesus. I don't think it's a coincidence that 
just two chapters later in Luke chapter 11 that Luke gives us some of Jesus' teaching on prayer, and he encourages prayer in the delays with a story that I'm not going to tell right now, but of a friend pounding on a neighbor's door in the middle of the night until he answers. Keep on believing without fear, Jesus is saying, just like he said to Jairus. And then he argues, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? And you hear, hear the argument even. If this is how earthly broken fathers will care for their children, then what about a perfect father, he's saying? But what the implication that is often missed, I think, in Jesus saying that is this. Even broken earthly fathers know not to give their children serpents if they ask for serpents, or scorpions if they ask for scorpions. Do you know what it means when you pray and pray and pray, and God doesn't give you what you ask. It means that without knowing it, you're asking for snakes and scorpions, and He won't give it to you, because He is that good, and He always wants the best for His children, right? Candy now, a healing now, but what if He wants to give you something better, a resurrection from the dead, Don't be afraid, Jesus tells Jairus, even in the delay. Finally, then, let's turn to consider the power of Jesus. Clearly, this story is teaching us that Jesus is powerful to heal and even powerful enough to raise from the dead to life. But how does does the healing power of Jesus come to us? What is it that will connect us to the power of Jesus? And the answer in this passage, and all throughout the Bible, is faith. Jesus highlights faith in both Jairus and in this woman. They are so different, but they really are all the same. The only appropriate way to approach Jesus is to fall at his feet and to trust him with everything in your life. Jesus stopped for this woman to encourage her faith. If you read the biblical scholars, they'll all tell you that there was a popular belief in this day that a person's power and dignity was transferred to the the things he wore. In other words, this woman came to Jesus with a faith that was mixed with a lot of superstition. And Jesus didn't want her to go away like that. He didn't want her to go away confused. He wanted her to know that he had healed her. He wanted her to know that it wasn't magic, but it was her trust in him that connected her to his healing power. And then Jairus, Jesus saw him shaken by the news of his daughter's death. And as soon as Jesus saw it, when you're reading this story, you see that he encouraged Jairus to put his fear away and to trust him. It's in the deadly delays of life that Jesus is calling us to put away our fears and to trust in Him. Put away your superstitious faith in faith. Put away your fears, fall at His feet, and trust Him with everything. Two stories of faith, and they're far from perfect faith. One superstitious and the other clearly shaken. And Jesus engages them both. Because what He is saying is He is saying is not the perfection of your faith. And it's not the strength of your faith that matters, but the power of the object of your faith. 
I, I want you to, again, dust off your imagination a little bit with me and remember the story of the Passover. God had told the Israelites in Egypt that He was going to pass over the land. And He told them to put blood on the doorposts of their homes. And if He did, He would pass over those houses. And He wouldn't strike down the firstborn dead in those homes. And so when the Lord came, He did that. And I want you to imagine two families, two neighbors living next door to each other, and they both have blood on their doorposts. And I want you to imagine that one set of parents, they fell into the deepest sleep of their lives, completely restful, completely trusting God's promise to pass over their house. And I want you to imagine the parents next door, they're up all night. They barely slept a minute Every hour, every half hour, they're running into their son's room to check and see if he was still breathing. All night they were up. Who would have rejoiced in the morning to find their sons alive? Both of them. Both families. It wasn't their faith. The strength or perfection of it that saved them, it was the object of their faith. They had put the blood on the doorposts. Trusting completely or struggling with trust. It was faith that was connected to the healing power of Jesus. Now, now think with me a moment longer about Jairus' story. Because his is the difficult story here, I think. He had hoped for a healing, but in Jesus' delay, his daughter took her last breath. Do not fear, only believe, Jesus said. Arriving at the house, of course they were laughing at Jesus. They knew the difference between dead and sleeping. But what they didn't know was that to Jesus, even death could be softened to a sleep. Death, the greatest enemy that faces us, and it is absolutely nothing to Jesus. The hands of the king are the hands of a healer. He took this 12-year-old girl by the hand And he lifted her up right through death itself. Child arise. To him, even death was just a Sunday afternoon's nap. It's so hard to fall at Jesus' feet and to trust him in his delays. But don't you see that he didn't want to give Jairus candy? He wanted to give him something even better. Jairus came for a healing, but Jesus, he wanted to give him something better, a resurrection from the dead. And I love how a preacher named Jeffrey Thomas ends his discussion of this passage. It's a little bit of a paraphrase, but he says that this little girl grew up. And at some point, eventually, her parents died, and she buried them. And eventually, this same little girl would die again. And her dust is somewhere in the Galilean soil today. But on her dying bread, can you imagine this? Did she assure her friends that she had lost, she had lost her fear of death a long time ago? She left that fear with Jesus. And she would tell her friends, you imagine, at the first hand, I'm going to feel, will be his, will be the hand of the king. And the first voice I hear will say to me, child, arise. 
Listen, so here's the question that I have for you this morning. Why would you ever, why would you ever want to hurry someone this powerful and this loving? Look, the great battle in the Lord of the Rings, sorry, i got to do it. Um, Aragorn, he was king, and it was, the battle was over, but Frodo the Hobbit, he couldn't understand the delay. He wanted to get back to the Shire, to his home. And so this is what wise old Gandalf told him. Many folk like to know beforehand what is to be set on the table. In other words, they want it now. But those who have labored to prepare the feast, Gandalf says, like to keep their secret. For wonder, for wonder makes the words of praise louder. Gandalf was right. And finally, when the purpose of the waiting was revealed, this is what the hobbit Frodo said. At last, I understand why we have waited. This is the ending. Now not day only shall be beloved, but night too shall be beautiful and blessed, and all its fears pass away. I don't want you to, I don't want you to hear me saying as we close, that therefore, knowing this, it's going to be easy for you to fall at Jesus' feet. It is hard. It is difficult. The bent of our hearts is not to trust Jesus. To imagine in our arrogance that we, are, we know better than Him. We come and we say, we can be our own gods. We'll know the difference between good and evil. It's a story as old as Adam and Eve, and it's hard that our hearts are bent that way. It's hard to trust in the delays. So where should we go when we are struggling to trust? There was this interesting statement that Jesus made when the bleeding woman touched him. Jesus said in verse 46, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. It's interesting because Jesus... He did far bigger things than to heal this woman. He did greater things than healing this woman. And he did it all without breaking a sweat. But here, we're told that power went out from him. Because Jesus wants us to see something. He's hinting at something. It was a sign of something. One day soon, Jesus would be crucified in utter weakness. He would become sin for us, and all our uncleanness would be transferred to Him, and He would die in our place. Listen, if there ever was a question about how a deadly delay could possibly good, turn to the page of that story. Because the perfect God-man was nailed to a tree. It looked very bad. It did not look good. But three days later, changed everything when he rose victorious over sin and death. And if you fall at his feet, believing that he did that for you, you will find that the way down is the way up. Faith is what will connect you to the resurrecting, healing power of Jesus. Come to the hands of the king, because the hands of the king are the hands of a healer. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for this brief time that we've had together in Your Word. And we pray 
that you would bless it to us. That you would remind us again and again, or even for the very first time this morning, that Jesus did come and he took on flesh. He moved towards the brokenness in our lives. And he moved towards it in order that he would take it upon himself and die for it. Father, we, we confess that it is hard to trust you in the delays. It is easy for us to question whether you are good. Father, help us. Help us to see that you only want your children's good. That you will not give us scorpions or snakes, even if we ask for them. Father, help us to believe. Help us to even be like the man Mark tells us about. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And help us to see that it's not the strength or the perfection of our faith that matters, but the object of our faith, Jesus, who can take us by the hand and lift us right through death itself. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.